Welcome back to The Horror Jar, that column where we look at lists from horror movies. Up today, it's the Hammer Mummy series. Unlike the Hammer Dracula Frankenstein series, which either were direct sequels or at least follow the same characters, uh, Peter Cushing's Baron Frankenstein, for example, the Hammer Mummy movies told separate stories and were completely independent of each other. There were four Hammer Mummy movies, The Mummy in 1959, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb in 1964, The Mummy's Shroud in 1967, and Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, 1971. The best by far was the first, The Mummy. Now we'll look at The Mummy from 1959. The Mummy followed upon the heels of Hammer's first two breakout films, their Horror Smashes, The Curse of Frankenstein in 1957, and Horror of Dracula from 1958, the two movies which put Hammer on the map. And Hammer's A-Team returned for The Mummy, their top director, Terrence Fisher, and their new horror stars, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, with Cushing again playing the hero, John Banning, and Lee again playing the monster, Karis the Mummy. Like The Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula before it, The Mummy was once again a reboot of the old Universal monster movies. Only this time, The Mummy wasn't a straight remake of one movie, but a bunch of the Universal Mummy movies. It borrowed the title from the original Boris Karloff The Mummy from 1932, but chose not to use Karloff's mummy character in Hotep. Instead, the mummy was Karis, a character originated by Tom Tyler in The Mummy's Hand, 1940, and later played by Lon Chaney Jr. in three more Universal Mummy movies. Peter Cushing's John Banning and his wife Isabel, played here by Yvonne Furneaux, were characters from The Mummy's Tomb, 1942, while John's father, Steve Banning, originated in The Mummy's Hand. But Raymond Huntley's Uncle Joe Wemple was a character from Karloff's The Mummy, and the character played by George Pastel, Mehmet Bey, the man who controls The Mummy, was a character from The Mummy's Tomb in that film played by Turin Bey. In terms of plot, Hammer's The Mummy most closely follows Universal's The Mummy's Tomb, although the ending, where Karis makes his way to the swamp, comes from The Mummy's Ghost, 1944, which is too bad because The Mummy's Tomb has the most exciting ending of any of the old Mummy movies. And had Hammer chosen to go with that ending, they would have had a more exciting movie. As it stands, while handsomely photographed, The Mummy is simply not as memorable as either The Curse of Frankenstein or Horror of Dracula. The number one reason why? Well, for whatever reason, and I tend to believe it's because director Terence Fisher always said that he didn't make horror movies, but films that told stories with elements of horror, Fisher chose not to make his movies all that scary. Both The Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula contain moments on screen, screen which push the envelope. 
the shocking first appearance of Christopher Lee's creature in Curse, or Lee's Dracula burying his fangs and throwing Jonathan Harper across the room. But the mummy does not. Peter Cushing is very good as John Banning, but compared to Victor Frankenstein or Dr. Van Helsing, Banning is boring. The best part of The Mummy, as we look back at it here in 2023, is Christopher Lee's performance as Carice the Mummy, which is funny because back in the day, Lee was dismissed as just an average actor, which simply isn't true. Lee's strength is he does more with less. In this case, he's playing a bandaged monster who is mute because his tongue has been cut out. And he does so much with just his eyes in this movie. It's amazing. The scene where he is told to return to his tomb by Mohammed Bey after having just been revived, and later when he recognizes Isabel as his long lost love, are two of the most effective scenes in the whole movie. And it's just Lee doing things with his eyes and body because he's bandaged as the mummy. All the mummy scenes in The Mummy are exceedingly well done, and Peter Cushing is always fun to watch. One of Cushing's best scenes is his conversation with Mehmet Bey late in the movie, where he's trying to figure out if Bey really is the man behind the murderous mummy. It's a nice bit of cat and mouse conversation that makes for high drama. The Mummy is a very watchable and enjoyable monster movie. It's just not all that scary. Moving on now to The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb from 1964. Hammer's second Mummy movie was The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, which had nothing to do with their first Mummy movie, The Mummy. Written and directed by Michael Carreras, Hammer's longtime producer and co-founder, the Curse of the Mummy's Tomb is okay. It has a powerful music score by Carlo Martelli, and the makeup used on the mummy's face is pretty cool looking. There's something about it that has always reminded me of Michael Myers' mask years later in the Halloween movies. But the pot-bellied mummy in this one is a disappointment. Played by stuntman Dickie Owen, he's not a very effective mummy. That being said, Michael Carreras manages to craft a couple of scenes in this one which are far scarier than anything seen in The Mummy from 1959. The Mummy's first appearance, for example, on a fog-shrouded outdoor staircase is arguably the most frighteningly filmed scene in any Mummy movie ever. It's atmospheric, creepy and it packs a punch when the mummy emerges from the fog to unexpectedly kill off a major character. It's brilliantly shot by Carreras, a man not known for his directorial skills. And later, when the mummy crushes another character's head with his foot, it's a jolting moment. But these scenes, both of these scenes, are examples of the types of scares absent from Terence Fisher's The Mummy. As stories go, the one told in The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb is average, although it does have a decent twist near the end, but the characters are pretty much all one-dimensional and dull. The best character is showman Alexander King, 
played by Fred Clark, who not only welcomes the mummy's curse, but promotes it as he uses it to sell tickets to his latest attraction. King is reminiscent of Robert Armstrong's Carl Denham in King Kong from 1933. It's a fun performance by the ubiquitous Fred Clark, who was everywhere on TV and in the movies in the 1950s and 60s. Clark would die four years later in 1968 from a liver ailment. He was only 54. The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb has its moments, but overall, without the presence of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, it's not as good as Hammer's first mummy movie, The Mummy. Now moving on to The Mummy's Shroud, 1967. The Mummy's Shroud is probably the weakest of the Hammer Mummy movies. It tells another mediocre story with cardboard characters, and the mummy here is once again portrayed by a stuntman, this time Eddie Powell. It also has one of the least effective looking mummies in the movies. There's just something too, night, too neat and tidy looking about him. The best actor in this one is Andre Morel, and he ends up not being in this one all that much. Morel played Dr. Watson to Peter Cushing's Sherlock Holmes in Hammer's The Hound of the Baskervilles from 1959, and he also starred in The Giant Behemoth, also in 1959, a sea monster movie featuring the special effects of King Kong creator Willis H. O'Brien. Directed by John Gilling, with a, and with a screenplay by Gilling and Anthony Hines, The Mummy Shroud is the least interesting of the Hammer Mummy movies although it does contain a great music score by Don Banks, who also scored Hammer's The Evil of Frankenstein in 1964. Now on to Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, 1971. Hammer's fourth and final mummy movie, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, has a lot going for it. It's based on a Bram Stoker novel, The Jewel of Seven Stars. It features a female mummy, and it tells a much more intriguing story than its three predecessors. The problem is it fails in its execution. It drops the ball with nearly all these neat elements. Some of this may have been the result of some bad luck. Director Seth Holt died from a heart attack during filming, and so the film was completed by Michael Carreras. As a result, the movie seems to lack the vision of a single director. The pacing is off as is the storytelling. And in spite of some interesting characters, nothing in this movie really resonates all that much. Peter Cushing was originally cast to play one of the main characters, but dropped out to take care of his wife, Helen, who was in declining health at the time. Andrew Keir replaced him. Keir is a very good actor, but he doesn't do a heck of a lot here in this movie. The most interesting character in the movie is the mysterious Corbett, played by James Villiers, Mark Edwards plays the young male lead, a character named Todd Browning, an obvious nod to Dracula 1931 director Todd Browning. But the worst problem with Blood from the Mummy's Tomb is that Valerie Leon, in the dual lead role as the innocent Margaret and the reincarnated murderous mummy, Tara, just doesn't make an impact. Blood from the Mummy's Tomb has so much potential which is why I get excited nearly every time I sit down to watch it. Yet, it's a disappointment because it never achieves what it sets out to do. It's far more intriguing than The Mummy Shroud, but cinematically doesn't come close to either Curse of the Mummy's Tomb or The Mummy. Blood from the, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb also has the misfortune of being the only Hammer Mummy movie 
not to feature a Hammer favorite and one of my favorite character actors, Michael Ripper. He's in the other three. With Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee in the cast of The Mummy from 1959, Hammer's first foray into Egyptian curses and undying bandaged monsters, that one remains their best. So there you have it. A brief look at the Hammer Mummy movies. I hope you will join me again next time on The Horror Jar when we, when we look again at another list pertaining to horror movies. As always, thanks for reading.